Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, September 27th. That means it's time for another episode of the Power Hour. We've got the team from Pittsburgh Power joining us today. Also, we'll be joined by David Counts from Fleet Air Filter. If you have any questions, now's the time to jump in. We're going to open those phone lines. 855-950-3835. If you have a question about maintenance, any question whatsoever about engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, troubleshooting, upgrades, electronics, emissions, you name it, we'll talk about it. Just pick up the phone and jump in and join us. Looks like calls are already starting to come in, so we will... uh, We'll jump right in here in just a second. Looks like we're getting everybody lined up. So let's uh, let's go ahead and bring in the team from Pittsburgh Power and see who we've got today. Pete, are you with us? I am, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good, good. So who who's joining us today? Leroy. Okay, is uh, with us today, and then this will be. Um, a few minutes behind. I think we actually have Bruce already. I see him, so I'll bring him in here in a second, too. So I think we're all set. I know we're getting uh, David supposed to be joining us today. Uh, so let's just jump right in and get started. What's uh, what's new and exciting in your world this week? Okay, so we got our winter blend uh, Max Mileage Catalyst here. It's bottled and ready to ship. So anyone that wants to order uh, can order it. So we have it ready to go. Uh, another one of my customers with a 2015 680 with a uh, ISX in, in it called back with some fuel mileage gains on the fuel mileage improver that we have. Now, he keeps good records, and he has a tune in it, and the rest of the truck's pretty much stock. Um, when using the improver one ounce per 25 gallons didn't notice much fuel mileage gains when he went to ounce and a half he picked up uh, a quarter of a mile to a gallon and then when he went to two ounces he picked up half a mile to a gallon wow on his test it get some you know odd results they're not always consistent and he's keeping good records but it doesn't do the same for everything um, just like a, a lot of products, even the mass right. mileage itself. Right. Some guys will get fuel mileage, other guys won't, but he's got some good records, and this is the kind of information that we need to to get. Yeah, absolutely, get and and yeah. this is exactly what we expect as far as results. That's why we try to overcome that with as, you know, as many trucks as we can, as many miles as we can. One truck, I mean, we know there are so many variables that trying to prove anything with one truck, unless you – just consistently do it over and over. So you use the product, you stop. You use the product, you stop. And after enough times, you could see a pattern even with just one truck. But that takes a long time. And the problem with that is if something else happens during that time, it could really screw up your results. So that's why we like to get as many trucks as we can into a test. And then we start to see some patterns. Um, You know, going forward, I think as we test this kind of stuff, we should look at uh, all the test trucks in fuel gauges and then an easy way for people to follow them. 
we should be able to pull that off. I know you can follow trucks right now. I don't know. If, I don't think there's any way to follow a group of trucks. But I'll talk to Aaron and see if there's a way we could set that up. It'd be nice if people could just go into fuel gauges, you know, and click on follow this group and see the results of the group. So one of our next tests we're going to do is actually in-house with our equipment. And just a matter of getting time. Leroy's back from his vacation. We're going to do some more testing with our emissions equipment and fuel mileage equipment. Right. Good. And the dyno. So, you know, get some static results from that as well. All right. Good. What else you got this week? So it's something I was reading that I wasn't even aware of called electrofuels. Are you familiar with them? No. Electrofuel. <laughs> Electrofuel. So, what? It's like a scam. Yeah. <laughs> right there with the uh, truck that you posted about. Um, supposedly what, what they're doing is they're taking captured carbon and mixing it with uh, what they call green hydrogen, which is hydrogen gas developed with green technology. That's a scam. It can be used in engines that already exist. You know, they're not coming up with other technologies once they, this fuel will burn in combustion engines. So the manufacturers don't have to make a lot of changes. But it's supposed to reduce CO2 upwards of 100%. Um, reduced NOx and um, sulfur oxides as well. And just something I read about um, just a couple of days ago. There's a company called Infinium that's developing this. Huh. Okay. I'm going to check that out. One of the things, you know, that we don't talk about a lot when you start using some of these alternative fuels in these, it, even just putting propane into a diesel engine on top of fuel or when we've done hydrogen or natural gas was a big one. The fuel you're burning inside that cylinder can have a big impact on the oil. So we see oil sampling. If you were to look at an oil sample for a natural gas engine compared to a diesel or a diesel engine converted to run natural gas, you have to look at completely different numbers. Everything changes in the oil sample because the the byproducts of that combustion change. And a lot of this stuff, like this new fuel might sound wonderful, but what are the results going to be? I mean, natural gas, the the last test I remember seeing from like 2014, 2015, the trucks they were running on natural gas, for some reason, the maintenance cost doubled. And that has wow. to be all engine related. I mean, natural gas can't have an impact on any other part of the truck as far as maintenance goes. So we're talking about an awful lot of engine maintenance for some reason. There's so much out there. You know, are we, at what point do we get, so, you know, the, the electric trucks, we've got all kind of issues there you know, with the batteries, charging, disposing of the batteries, uh, mining of the minerals. At what point does it become where the diesel engines we have now are simply clean enough? Exactly. I mean, we, we have some diesels that aren't really putting out any emissions at all, hardly. I mean, the new engines are really clean. And here's the thing, and it's not going to happen, unfortunately. You can see how bad this is right now. I'm all for electric if the market wants it no other reason though 
I, I could care less about their whole green agenda because I just don't think electric vehicles are any better for our environment than diesel vehicles are or gas vehicles. It's just different. I mean, we are going to destroy parts of our environment moving to electric. It may be worse for all we know. So I, I'm not, this has never been about the environment for me. I like electric technology, but only if it makes sense in the market. I'm not going to buy an electric truck if it costs more to operate than a diesel. I mean, that would be the deciding factor right there. If, it, if we could put all the numbers together and go, oh, no, look, if you ran an electric vehicle, overall, it's going to cost you four or five cents a mile more. Well, why would I ever do that? And why would I take the risk of a, an unproven technology over something that we've been using for 100 plus years? But that's not how it's going to work. It's going to work with all kinds of tax credits and government incentives. And we're going to see companies taking a bunch of government money and then go bankrupt and it's going to be a mess. I mean, it really is. And it, it sucks because, like I said, I'm excited about electric. I think it could be a good mix, but I think we're going to screw it up completely. And that's like the, the buying a diesel car. What advantage does anyone have in this country to buy a diesel car with the exception of maybe someone that is on the road nonstop and puts a ton of miles on? Right. 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 I had a diesel car. It was great. Well, That's yeah, my favorite but car ever. I, I like diesel cars too, but why, why do we have to pay so much more for diesel? Because it's just not, more. It, it's supply and demand. And in this more country, money. we don't have enough more diesel cars. Yeah. Maintenance is higher. Yeah, maintenance is higher. Yeah. You're, you're paying a premium to buy the diesel. Yeah. And most people don't keep a car long enough to justify Oh, I got 300,000 miles on it. How many people own a car for 300,000 miles? Right. That is the big advantage of diesel is the, the, the lifetime. I mean, you, they just run and run and run and run. But you're right. If you don't get to okay. those miles, then you never capture that advantage. What's the point? But really, gas engines go that far, too. Yeah. I mean, how many cars you see out gas engines you see with 200 plus thousand miles that, on it? That's true, too. Cars. Now, you, they just... Almost all engines seem to run. So that's the whole point that diesel has lost its advantage in electric or in, in cars. It's lost its advantage, the one advantage that it had. And in our country, there's too many disadvantages. It's harder to get fuel. And I know most gas stations have a pump, but honestly, having a diesel vehicle, our Sprinter, it's kind of a pain in the ass. There's one pump and it's almost always taken. So you're usually waiting and then not every place has it. So, yeah, it, um, d diesel is still the most popular fuel in the world, just not here in this country. Hey, when was, you know, even like in the Northeast where we're at, I get rid of a car because it's rusting out, not because the engine is bad. Right, right. So what if the engine can go 500,000 miles? If the car rusts out, rust out at and it's not cost effective no, to no. paint cars nowadays. You bought a gallon of paint lately? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the cost. And the cost. Don't you remember mm -hmm. when when we were growing up you could get your car painted at Earl Scheib for sixty nine ninety five? That's sixty nine dollars and ninety five cents. That's what you could get a car painted for. Now it wasn't a very good paint job, but it was painted. Now I don't even think you can buy that gallon of paint for that. No, no. So I, well, before I worked here, I worked for a bus company, 
and we, we painted a lot of the buses. So the, the school districts want new buses and of course, terribly expensive. And when it's a small school district, they can't afford to pay the extra money. So we kind of compromise and we end up paying them. And let's face it, an old bus and new bus look the same. Right. It's not a whole lot different once you put a paint on them. Uh, but back then, so the yellow paint's called chrome yellow. And special people refer to it as school bus yellow, but it's actually chrome yellow. And I think it was 100 bucks a gallon. And then, of course, you had hardener and you had the primer, stuff like that. But uh, the price to paint a bus now is about 10 times what it was wow. back in the 80s. Oof. Yeah. And it's not in count- counting late. That's right. strictly materials. Right. So how far does Alan go on a bus? I feel like you need quite a few yeah <laughs> so we would we did so we not like a car right. there were two of us painters people would paint it uh, the one guy would paint up front i paint the roof and i was on scaffolding and i had another guy push me around and i would have those uh two quart guns that you'd hang on your belt oh yeah and i think we'd um three gallons of paint to paint a bus that sounds wow. about right yeah that didn't include like black trim or the wheels that was just the yellow that we sprayed right we would, you would take Vaseline and cover your eyes with it uh, because if you didn't, the, your eyelashes would stick together then. <laughs> Back then, we didn't have the, the fans. We just had a big fan right. blowing the air out. Right. Windows open, but a big yellow haze in there. Yeah, you know, I painted a lot of cars in my garage at home when I was a teenager. I started painting cars at home when I was like 16. Um, and we had a nice size three car garage. That was one thing that, uh, I certainly didn't grow up wealthy, but my dad wanted a really nice garage. So we had a good garage, all the stuff I needed, but I would do the opposite when I painted cars in that garage. Cause I didn't have a fan or any kind of ventilation system. So you do the opposite. I would want to paint on the calmest day I could find. And by the time you got done shooting a coat, you almost couldn't see inside the garage anymore. But if you kept nothing mm-hmm. moving, then you got less dirt in the paint than trying to ventilate without having the right setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we would have to, after we got done painting, we'd have to close up the shop because, especially in the summertime, the bugs became a problem. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bugs landing on the paint. Okay, right. It's a bus, and it's uh, yeah, not like but it's your personal car. But we try to still want it nice. Clean. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. They wanted new buses, and you just repainted them. So <laughs> yeah, and you can't <laughs> I mean, tell yeah, the difference. You know, it's, anyway. you know, it, it's like um, it's like UPS trucks. They always look like they're new, and some of those things are probably thirty years old. They run them forever. Like, no, these new buses—they put bugs in the paint from the factory. <laughs> <laughs> no. All right, Pete, you got anything else? That's it for me. All right. Leroy? Uh, I don't have anything fun and exciting, especially not for the driver, but I guess sort of an interesting story. Um, so we have a 2015 Cascadia in the shop, and it has had one box issues in the past, and with all the shortages, he was forced to buy an aftermarket one. I won't say any of the names of the, the aftermarket one, but there's not too many. Anyway, he had issues with it from the get-go, and now um, he's back again, and it has a fault code 3936 and FMI 18. 
which is basically when the ECM detects that the pressure is too low in the DPF. So the only way that the pressure can be too low in the DPF is if A, you punch a hole in it, or B, you have an exhaust leak. So it's noticing that there's not enough exhaust flowing through the DPFs. So it's throwing a code for that. And the very first thing on the troubleshooting tree is to visually inspect the entire exhaust system for signs of leaks or damage. So we take the side step off, look at it, and we can see, you know, heat marks on the one box shield right off the bat. So we take that shield off in the, uh, where the DPFs go together in a one box, the way that this thing was manufactured, I don't know if the jig wasn't straight, but the DPFs just did not sit in there straight. And it basically caused a leak on the inlet side of the DPF. And you can see soot stains all through the inside of the one box where it wasn't sealing on the bottom. And you can just visually see. It's not like you need instrumentation to tell right. that the DPF's not in there straight. Right. It's, it's just a quality issue on this aftermarket one box that, uh, you know, whenever it wasn't welded together, it weld wasn't welded together straight. And now he's having issues with it again. We're not quite sure what we can do, whether we can get a different clamp to provide more clamping for us. Maybe we can do some sort of different gasket. But yeah, he's back again with uh, more issues with this aftermarket one box. Oh, that sucks. What does that thing cost? I think it costs just as much as a regular one. It wasn't much cheaper. As an OEM one. It's just that you could get one. Did you could get it. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah. We're still waiting for one. We got a customer that ordered one uh, how many months ago, and it still isn't in. It, it's still not in. That, that so problem doesn't seem like it's going to get any better anytime soon either. 629 is when he ordered it. It's still not in. And this would be a factory one box. And now they're saying we should see it uh, October 6th. And the one box is like 8500 bucks. You know what doesn't have a one box, Kevin? Oh, here Big we go. Game. Here we go. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they well, don't. <laughs> By the time that this one box would wear out, you would have had to have rebuilt that big cam like four times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. What else we got? That That's all that I had. All right. We're going to bring in Bruce. And I also <laughs> see, I think we've got, uh, we've got David Counts with this as well. So we'll be hearing from him. Then the calls are starting to pile up, so we'll get to those here in just a little bit. Bruce, welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. Um, we have a fellow that does, up in the New England states, local tree work. For I guess he removes large trees from people's homes, but he has a 95 Volvo WG. I, know, I never saw a WG Volvo. It's got a 3 8 thickness otter frame with a quarter inch liner right now it has 529 gear ratio what and 529? 529 holy cow speed it's a very slow truck very slow so he called me and we talked let's start from the back and go to the front we are putting in 52,000 pound new charmers Chalmers 
walking beam suspension, new Meritor axles, new Meritor full walking differentials. We're going to 411 gear ratio from 529. And new, brand new 18-speed. He doesn't want anything rebuilt. And uh, putting new chrome stacks on it. And we're going to take the low horsepower N14 up and make it a pretty reasonable horsepower, something hopefully close to 600. So that's going to be quite a job. That job, is a uh, big job. This type of work changing, changing uh, suspensions is something we've never really done. So it'll be the first time. Wow. Wow. You know, so. that's a, you know, you think 411 gears is still kind of crazy, obviously, but that's a huge change from a 529. Plus, it's got tall 24.5 rubber, so that uh, 411 is more equivalent to uh, brings them down 390s. to three ninety seventy. Yeah, or, yeah. Mm -hmm. So interesting. So, That's, uh, and then it's 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 in city most of the time. It's very seldom on highway. Right. Right. So. That's an interesting. Anyway, truck. it's a uh, it's going to be an, an interesting build. Yeah, sure will be. That's what I have. All right, uh, let's uh, let's bring in David Counts. Find out what's on his mind this week. David, welcome back. Hey guys, what's happening today? Uh, what's on your mind this week? Well, just a whole lot of filters as usual. So we've been actually working pretty hard trying to get some stuff done, kind of catching up on material. You know, as far as getting it in from all the back orders and stuff like that. So, our ship industries, I guess, has gave up a little bit, so they're leaving a little bit of material for us now. So, Got it. There you go. Um, Good. It just took a minute, you know. So, we, Good. We got a lot of our a lot of filters in stock, um, especially the CNC ones. We got a few back orders on, like some of the custom stuff, you know, as far as like um, the twenty five ninety nine Lone Star. You know, that's that they'll always be on back order. You know, just because that's kind of made the order in a sense. Um, but usually average time on those is, you know, uh, two to four week average is about what it's taking on stuff like that. So. Speaking of which, that's interesting you brought up a custom filter like that because uh, I was going to ask you mm -hmm. today to build a one-off filter. Just we need one of them. Is that even reasonable? Right. Is there a way to build a filter? And I know you're going to pay significantly more than a, a mass manufactured filter, but I'm thinking about my coach. I mean, I'd love to have a fleet air filter in it, but I don't think it's anywhere near any of the uh, filters. Actually, I have most of the filters for like motorhomes and stuff is usually a canister style filter. Right. Mine so, is. you know, you pull a canister out, you throw the canister away, you put a new one in. Well, I got a, a filter out now that's a twenty seven ninety um oh, sorry, twenty seven twenty two. Um it's it's geared more towards the motorhome world. Okay. Uh the inlet's on one end, the outlet's on the other, on the side. So those filters run about six ninety nine. They're okay. all custom built. Um we just take a canister and we basically gut them, pull them apart. Nine out of ten times, I shorten the whole canister up just because it doesn't need that kind of volume. Right. Uh, most motorhomes. So, you know, I can do those. That's about a three-week process. 
Um, I do, when I do them, I strip them. Uh, I send them out and I have the canisters usually repowder coated. And I normally put a color on them because that way when somebody, you know, opens oh, the rear of the motor home up, could, they look at the yeah. engine. Good say, oh, hey, wow, this thing's red or, or blue, <laughs> right. you know. And, don't and, throw and it away. It makes them think about it. <laughs> Don't throw it away. Yeah. So I may get with you then and the, have one built for Mike. Cause that's I, that's actually a really reasonable price. I expected it might be more than that for a custom filter, uh, but I don't I don't want you to shorten mine. Remember, we're at seven hundred plus horsepower on my coach now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, a lot of them. Just say a lot of the motorhomes that come in. Most of them is. I don't know, 330, 350 horse. Right. Then, I mean, I work on a lot of them this 500 or 550. Of course, the, you know, honestly, there's no difference in the 550 air filter and then the 300 horse air filter. I mean, usually they use the same filter, but right. you know, it just right. has way more filter. And, of course, we pick up a lot of airflow also. Exactly. So that's why a lot of times I downsize them. So. Yeah. Okay. And well. I, also, I also try to open the ends of them up, too, you know, just to to try to get a little more airflow too. So. Oh, so you would need the original filter to do this, right? Or no, not and, really. Because okay. a lot of times when I, I'll usually take it just buy a okay. um, new it. one, and then I, you know it, it depends on which one it is. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll get with you on that because uh, now there's a another possibility, Bruce. Um, Figuring out what I'm going to do here with the coach. We're, ours is in the shop. I mean, it's got a bunch of work needs done, but we might redo the whole thing front to back, interior, tile, everything. Or we were looking at a Tiffin. I really like the Tiffins. And then while we were looking at Tiffins, we found out that Tiffin now makes a fifth wheel. And they are absolutely yes. beautiful and much better quality than most fifth wheels on the market. So I got thinking again. It might be fun to go back to a fifth wheel and build a new tractor. I mean, I can buy a brand new tractor and that fifth wheel and still be less than what I would pay for a coach right now. So it would be less expensive. Absolutely. I'd have a brand new tractor. And then my thought is every two years, I'll just replace the fifth wheel. We put so many miles on them that, it, and the nice thing about a fifth wheel, they don't register miles, so I can sell them with a lot of miles on them. As long as you take care of them, they don't lose their value. And my tractor, think about it, 10 years from now, I'll have a super low mileage tractor that would be worth quite a bit on the market. And it would be more fun. So I'm thinking about that. I may do that. <laughs> You know, if if I was going to do it again, you know, most people that know me knew that I built my own motorhome out of a Cascadia. A, a really and nice one, too, by the way. It, it's, it's, it's probably the cleanest one in the country. I mean, it's beautiful. It's very functional. It's simple. The only downside to it is that it's big. And so when I hook my 30-foot trailer to it, I'm 83 <laughs> foot long. Right. And... It's it's not a big deal if if you go into a place that you know, but it, exactly if you're going somewhere where you don't know. Yeah, it, if, it all of a sudden becomes a big deal. Yeah, if you're out, you know, going to racetracks and and there's lots of room and you know where you're going. But if you're out at 83 feet, forget going into RV parks. I mean, most of oh, them yeah. you're just not going to get in and get around at 83 feet. I've done it at 76, and it's a challenge at 76. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. but it, it's doable. It's a project. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. It's doable. It's, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm really thinking about it. We'll uh, we'll probably be making a decision here in a month or two. Um, you know the the thing if there if country coach still built coaches I'd just replace it with one of those and be done with it. Um, and we may just put a bunch of money in ours and keep it going. I don't know. We'll see. But the thought of building another truck sounded fun. Yeah, you know, I, I always say I'm not going to build another you know coach no time soon. But it's funny because I have one on the jig table right now. <laughs> Do you really? <laughs> yes. I, I just decided I wanted like a 14-foot box on the back, and uh, I'm going to pull like a, a gooseneck trailer, and I'm just going to use it for like local stuff, you know. There you uh, go. Well, I say locals, but three or 400 miles. Right, us, so. right. Yeah, all right. Anybody else have anything, or should we get to some calls? Get the calls. All right, oh. let's go to Alberta to get started today. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, everybody. I love what you guys do. Um, I have um, both for a Mac. It's a And the first question I had was, uh, I started using the catalyst on it, and right away the, the engine brake started to only work on half cycle. And... It was kind of pulsing away for about three hours. Is that just what the catalyst is doing for the first bit of mile? It, uh, it's got 485,000 kilometers on it. I was having a hard time understanding him. Did anybody get all that? Yeah, yeah I don't, I'm not getting it either. So he did mention something about the engine brake not working after running the catalyst. I, I, I took it that way. And it was broken up, which would have nothing yeah. to do with the engine brake. Hey, um, there's yeah, the engine with- brake only works on half cycle. As soon as I started using the catalyst, and it was pulsing pretty good for about three hours while you were pulling a hill. It was going like, uh, 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 you know, kind of like, um, not sure how I would explain it properly. What engine is it? It's uh, Mac. Um, let's see here. Um, I'll pull up the model number here. The model number. How many miles are on it? On the end. Four hundred eighty-five thousand kilometers. And the model number of the engine is the AC460P. But yeah, I mean. Uh, I'm wondering if you have some. Go ahead, Leroy. I was going to say the catalyst is just a fuel additive, so it's not going to have anything to do with any sort of electrical inputs or outputs as far as engine brake control. Okay. So it I might just be the switch, the switch inside the cab that's given up, eh? Uh, it could be either uh, the switch in the cab, it could be the ECM, it could be the wiring, it could Sound be the, the solenoid, yeah. um, anything. Yeah, it should be easy to find though. Yeah, if it does it all the time, then it makes it easy to find. So, but yeah, the fuel out of it wouldn't have anything to do with Jake's. Okay, good to know because it started right away. It uh, when you have it on full cycle, the engine brake, it it on and off it goes to full and then it goes back to half cycle. 
So it, it kind of wants to go to full cycle, but then it goes back to half. And then it would all of a sudden go back to full again. It kind of does that on and off. Yeah, I'm not sure what that one could be. I don't have a lot of Mac experience. So. Okay, where is that solenoid on that engine? Uh, the Jake brake solenoid to be under the valve cover. Okay, I see, yeah. Okay, yeah, um, so another thing, um, Bruce could probably uh, explain more about this. Uh, this Mac engine has, uh, the exhaust system is not too good on it. it it's got four 90s in the exhaust, and uh, it doesn't have the lugging, lugging power that we should expect from it. It's, it's, a, it's used very much for local work, not too much highway, just very local and lots of tough hauling. I'm wondering what all modifications we could do to it to improve the torque on this. Hey, Roy, do you have anything for the, that model Mac? What year Mac did you say that it was? 2004 um, C8 613 model. Yeah, I don't think that I have anything for an 04. My equipment may connect to it. I would have to double check. Um, you can either shoot me an email or give me a call after the show. Uh, I'll have to double check if my equipment can even read and write to that uh, ECM or not. What What about our dealer in Edmonton? Uh, he has a belt. Yeah. Okay. Is there a dealer close to here? Um, Lethbridge, Alberta? What's the closest? Well, here in Lethbridge, we have uh, that young fellow there. That he's just a catalyst dealer, but he works at Kenworth. So I don't know if he would be. Yeah, I know Josh very well. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. But he doesn't do the remote tuning. Is Josh one of our remote tuners? I know he's a catalyst dealer. I think he is just a catalyst dealer. Okay. Where did you say you're from? Yeah. Alberta. Uh, Lethbridge, southern southern part of Alberta. Mm. Take a look here. But yeah, just give me a call after the show. We'll uh, we'll figure it out there. So. And then, how about the exhaust, uh, Bruce? What do you think we should do with that? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to you'd have to email me. It's Bruce M at Pittsburgh Power. Email me pictures of the exhaust system and okay. uh, of the overall truck. Send me about ten or twelve pictures of the system, and then uh, call me later today and. After I got to look at the pictures for a couple hours, okay? Then I'll help, sure. I'll help you design something. Sure. Okay, we'll do that. All right. Thank you, guys. Sounds Appreciate good. Okay. Let's head off to Pennsylvania. Keith, welcome to the program. Hello, guys. I appreciate the call. Uh, I have a 2015 ISX. And uh seems like I'm having low boost. I'm definitely having low power, pulling hills in Pennsylvania. On the scan gauge, I'm only getting uh, 27, 28 pounds of boost. 
but it's only reading like 250 horsepower. What horsepower is the engine? It's supposed to be a 400. And yeah. Whenever you first bought the truck, what was your turbo boost? Uh, I just got the truck this summer, so I just got the scan gauge a couple weeks ago, so... Um, this is all so kind of no new. Boost, so I'm kind of, no boost gauge in the dash, right? No, there's not. Where do you live? I live in Michigan, but I drive pretty much the Midwest. Okay. So, Can you stop by the no shop boost. and and let the, let our uh, engineers do a boost test leak? Give it a boost. I could. Uh, looking for leaks, and then if we can set up the ECM, which I'm sure we can, to bring yeah. your horsepower up and your pulling power, that's what you should do. Is after the show, give Leroy a call and uh, say, "Hey, I'll be coming well, through." Usually, we can get I you in within two or three a, days. Yeah, I just became a a, a remote tuner. So, oh, okay. Well, heck. Um, Put the computer on it and uh, call us. Okay. Uh, what about? And I was looking at uh, doing a getting a smoke machine myself, like you guys do for your boost checks. What pressure uh-huh. do you guys run in your smoke machine? Uh, pretty low pressure. I noticed there's different pressures. And you'll find the leak was six or eight pounds. It doesn't yeah, take a whole we, lot. We, you don't need thirty pounds or anything like that. Yeah, we used to do five or okay. ten. Okay. Oh, the hardest part is you have to have a, a nice boot that, that will grab onto uh, the turbo. If you just have like a smooth boot, um, it, sometimes 10 pounds, will it, it'll pop off. So make sure you get like one with a, a nice boot on it that has like a grab. Right. Neva, <laughs> are you talking about the piece that you put in the rubber elbow before the turbo? Yeah, the the boot that you put on the inlet of the turbo. Okay. Right. Um, sounds good. And then uh, one thought I was thinking we were talking. I heard you guys talking about the guy with the uh, high viscosity in his oil. Yes. Earlier last week. Yeah. And uh, he had a brand new rebuild, and the oil, the viscosity started going up right away. Is it possible he has like the polymer uh, bearings in it that are wearing out, and that's the only way you're showing it? Uh I have no idea. We don't know any. No, it's a a good thought. We don't know anything about polymers in oil and what that might do. There are contaminants in oil that raise viscosity. And it's a good thought. Maybe maybe polymer is one of them. But maybe that would be our only indication right right now. No, it's a good thing to, uh, good question for the lab. All right. Thanks for the call. Okay, yeah, let, that's me, a, let me let me say yeah, this. Back to your 400 horsepower X or ISX. I don't know what boost that's supposed to make, but a big cam 400 is supposed to make 24 and a half pounds. Your your 15 liter engine that was a 14 liter engine, so uh, you might not be that far off on turbo boost. Yeah, I think we'll grab yeah. Okay. Okay. A 500 12 7 Detroit. It's a 500 12 7 Detroit, 500 horsepower in 14. Both have to make 30 pounds. So you're not too far off for 400. 
Okay. So it's just a matter of these hills are so super big with these 40,000 pounds of tow. Yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just need more horsepower and torque. There you go. Sounds like yeah. I'll be calling Leroy here in a couple of days to get this uh, tune going. You yeah, might myself work. the other day, so. You're making yourself work too hard with that 400. I like the sound of that, yep. Okay. Sounds good. There Makes you me go. feel better. Thanks. There you go. All right. Uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Ohio. Lee, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I am. It's not going to be my first truck. Uh, I've owned trucks since 2000. Uh, Pittsburgh Power works on my Lone Star now. I actually met you, Kevin, out there uh, when you were out of Pittsburgh Power uh, in the spring there. Okay. Uh, I am looking at buying a 386, a 2016 386 Peterbilt. Uh, it's a glider with a 6NZ cat in it. Uh, just had an in-frame done last year. It's got almost 800,000 miles uh, total on the truck. And uh, the, I got some engine questions, but I also have an aerodynamic one. I pull flatbed. It's a long wheelbase. It's a 270 wheelbase. It's got the air dam on top. Take Is it off. Of any purpose? Take, okay. okay. It, That's yeah, what I was it's thinking. actually I think it's probably more hindrance. It's actually hurting your fuel economy. Yeah, we don't want high profile up front if we don't need it. If we have low profile behind okay. the tractor, there's no point in having high profile up there. It just creates a lot of dirty air. Yeah, so get rid of that. The other thing, I know you have some engine questions. Um, so this is a glider. So it was probably rebuilt before the glider was built. And then you said the in-frame was like 800,000 miles ago. Is that, that was the rebuild when the glider was built or it's been rebuilt again? Uh, no, it, it, the truck has, uh, just under 800,000 and it was in framed, uh, October of last year, which means we know it's had at least two in frames. I'm sure they in framed it when they built okay. the truck itself. That would be, unless it was a cat, could have been a cat reman with a new block. Okay. I, it, it, that's a good point. So uh, Pete, how hard is it to figure that out? Can we do that with an engine serial number? The engine serial number, because when Cat, so, you know, what was known as a 6NZ, if you bought a Reman, what would be a 6NZ, they changed the serial number because they were using Acer blocks, because they were much newer, or new blocks. Because the C2A. Order. Is it, what is it? A C2A. C2A would be the serial number. So, if, okay. If NZ serial number, that means it was just an engine that was rebuilt. And I, okay, I didn't what, look that closely at it. What concerns me is that this one had to be in-framed before 800,000 miles. What went wrong? Because that's way early on True, a 6NZ. God, yeah. I, I, it's, it's at a dealership. I ha they have the paperwork for it, but I do not know the owner. To, yeah, so. To I mean, the truck it, is immaculate. He may have been, the, the guy may have been just a fanatic. Something might have went wrong, and he just might have said, just in-frame it. I mean, the truck is just... It looks like a brand new truck. Every bit of yeah, I, anything as far as that goes. You know, when when we look at gliders and rebuilding these old engines, our biggest problems happen when they start building blocks that they shouldn't have, that they were beyond specs. They shouldn't okay. have built it in the first place. And once that happens, there's nothing you can do to fix the problem. 
If you get one of these engines that okay. was, you know, rebuilt when it shouldn't have been, there's nothing you can do. They just tend to be problem engines. I would just be a little concerned about that one. I, I'd try to find out the history of this block. Okay. And honestly, if it had, had two end okay. frames, I might stay away from it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll get the VIN or the uh, serial number off it and call Pittsburgh Power. And uh, what's, what's the price of the truck? Uh, <laughs> one forty. What? Oh, come on. Two thousand sixteen. Come on. Uh, and and I, I've been I've been looking, and that is actually below average for. Oh no way! Now. No way! I wouldn't give him eighty thousand for that okay. truck. No way. Okay. Yeah, okay. that's insane. Okay. Hell, it, okay. it, it, just think well, about this. You get a Pete with a 6NZ. Yeah, but there's all kinds of Pete's with 6 Well, there's not in that year, I guess. It's fairly rare, but I, no, there's no way. Okay. Okay, because I was looking at buying another. Wait, uh, here, let's have, let me ask you something else. Here's something else I would check if you're even considering buying this truck. Who built it? Who built the okay. glider? Uh, it's, uh, I believe it's a Fitzgerald one because all the, uh, they have like four of them on the lot. And the other ones are Fitzgeralds. They got two 579s and two, two of these 386s. Yeah, it, as far as build quality goes... They build a good glider just because they build so many of them. They've avoided a lot of the problems. It's the one-off gliders I really don't want. Some dealer built it for okay. somebody. and uh, But then we also know that Fitzgerald had a run of, you know, they were using blocks they shouldn't have been. And a lot of those problems with their Bad trucks. Stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah they, just, first off, for buy, me, uh, it, there, no way at that price. Okay. I, I don't know how you justify that, ever. I, I know, but you can't justify. I was looking at buying a brand new Peterbilt, and that's they're they're at two sixty, and I'm like, that's just I don't know how you would ever make money for you that. You can't to pay for that. So. You can't. <laughs> you can't. So, I heard a price yesterday at two forty. Guy was paying two forty for a new one. No way. God, that is wow. just yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. yeah I just want to buy one truck and just. I'm going to be 50 this year, and I just want, I just want to buy one truck and just keep it. This Lone Star is nice, but it's just it's not me. <laughs> and well, it's, here's it's an, emissions and stuff. It's been, I mean, here's another thing to think about. You're 50. When do you plan on retiring? Uh, honestly, I don't, but I just know the way everything. So, uh, no, going. that I just want to get a truck now because I no. Don't, no <laughs> okay, I, I get ahead. yeah. So if you don't even know when you're going to retire. Then starting off with a truck with 800,000 miles and thinking it's going to make it 15 years? Okay. I mean, it could. I mean, we rebuild stuff over and over, mm -hmm. but if I wanted my last truck and I wanted it to be, it might, I might need it for 15 years, I'm going to go buy new. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but if he yeah. buys a six NZ, he doesn't have emissions. So that's that's one of my big concerns right now. I've got almost five hundred thousand on this so, ISX, and so even if it, we go with that, I, I do it, run the catalyst. It, even okay. if we go with go the fact that you want a pre-emission truck and a pre-emission engine, 
this isn't the one, not at $140,000 for a truck that has 800,000 miles on it, and it's a glider. Okay. I just think that's a crazy (laughs) price. You, You know, what dealer has this? You said they had three other Fitzgeralds. What's the price on those? Uh, they're all they're all the same. The 579s are 2017s, and the 386s are 2016, and that, they're all 140. Oof, man, oh man, that that's just insane. It, here's the thing: I can almost guarantee you, six months from now, those will be eighty thousand dollar trucks. Okay. So why don't you call me after the show and me and. Why don't you call me after the show and let's talk about this and talk about semi-retirement and and uh, my feelings on where you want to go once you get into your 70s like me. Okay, okay. Because I got a buddy of mine that, that's the same age as my father. He's 79. He still does it. He does it on his terms, you know, owner-operator driving. But that's where I want to be. I don't... <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I, I don't yeah. ever see myself I, not wanting to. You know. No, and that, that is the beauty of this career. It's easy to, as an owner-operator, you can set everything. You can work once a month if you want. You can, it gives you a lot of flexibility. I love that because I don't like the idea of you know, permanent retirement. People don't do well. So the idea that you can keep doing something you love and do it on your terms is wonderful. I just wouldn't do it with this truck at that price. Okay, okay. All right, then I guess it's not worth. I mean, I can call Bruce afterwards. Yeah, yeah call me. But call me about ten minutes after the show ends, okay? Okay, I will do that. All right. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Texas. Justin, welcome to the program. Yes, sir. I'm uh, looking at doing a gear change. Uh, I want to get your opinion on it. I got a 2012 uh, Freightliner M2, and uh, it's got the ISC 8.3 with a nine-speed direct. Oh, you're sure it's a direct, right? It's currently got, yes, sir. Okay, what is the rear end ratio now? It's got the 390. Oh, then there's no way that's a direct gear. No way. You would That would be a 35-mile-an-hour truck. Okay. Yeah, you... you at 1,700 RPM, I'm running 55. With, then there's no way that's three. Somebody have a calculator up that they can run that through. That can't. No, but I can. Uh, if you're running 1700 RPM at 55, and you've got 390s, are you are you low pro 22.5? You know, uh, tall 22.5s. Tall 22.5. 1700 390s. That has to be What's an overdrive here. It is. It's uh, I'd like to, uh, uh, 65 is where I'd like to run at. 65. Hey, hey, Bruce, on an 8.3, I'm not sure that I would change this gear ratio if it is 390s with an overdrive. That's not a bad setup for that 8.3. Yeah, baby. Seven, I got the 1,755. Yeah, I guess if he wants to go 60. Uh, I'm I'm using it for hot shot. I put a flatbed, uh, built a flatbed on it, and I'm using it for hot shot. Okay. 
So you go up to like 35,000 pounds. Yeah, about that. Uh, would the model of the transmission help? No, I don't need that. What is the, okay. um, what year did you say? 2009? 2012. 2012. I called Cummins and they said that uh, basically the uh, peak torque is at, they said 1300, but cruising RPM would be 1800. 1300 to 18. Usually it's two to 300 RPM over. I'm surprised they're telling you 500 over. Um, even on the B and the older C mechanicals, I go with two to 300 over. What's the top RPM? Uh, it said governed at uh, 2200. I'd like some time to think about this. Would you call me later this afternoon? Sure. Just call uh, Pittsburgh Power. Call Pittsburgh Fire and ask for me. If for some reason I'm on the phone, just leave a message and I will get back to you today. I return okay. calls to as late as nine o'clock at night. So, um, yeah, and, and uh, we'll talk about I, I this. And we'll, I'll, cut, I'll up with I a gear ratio for you. Okay, I keep punching it into a calculator, and, and the numbers worked out from what I could see that it, it was a direct transmission, direct drive. No, can't. Okay. Yeah, that. that uh, yeah, I was trying to pull up my calculator, and for some reason, I can't find it. I don't know what happened to it. Um, but that that just doesn't sound right. There's that. That seems like it's got to be at least like a point seven eight or something in that range. Maybe maybe even like a point eight six. But I don't think it could be direct. Okay. All right. I tell you what. I tell you what. You could do. You could call Eaton or whoever's transmission that is, and find out, get the gear splits, so that we know for sure and know what the, whether eighth gear is the one to one, and then what ninth gear is, whether it's a point eight five, point seven seven, or point seven three. Okay. And have that information when you call me. Okay. So. Okay. Will do. Yeah, hold on one second. If you were I have a chart okay. up here that I might be able to use. Um, this is actually something John Walco wrote. It's a big spreadsheet, but I've never opened it up and played with it. But if you were direct with 390s at 55, uh, let's see, where did we go? Oh, yeah, look, it direct gear... With three nineties on a nine, you said it was a nine speed, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. If I go to a nine speed direct gear, three nineties at thirty four miles an hour, you're at nineteen hundred RPM. So okay. it's got to be an overdrive. And actually, after I ran that, it sounds like it's like a point seven three. Might be a double overdrive. It probably is. Okay. Well, I know that the where it feels comfortable cruising that is at like fifty-five miles an hour, and and if I uh, 
I like to go at 65, so it, it feels like it's wrapping, wrapping out at that speed. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. On, how, does the, how does the engine pull at 15 and 1600 in ninth gear? Does it pull okay? Yes, sir. So I to me our goal is sixty five at sixteen hundred and would be the goal. Right. Yeah. It puts you three hundred RPM over peak torque. Okay. Okay, so we need to drop it down two hundred. Okay. All right, you call me later today. All right. Will do. Bruce, you're gonna be busy today. Fine. I enjoy helping these people. Good, good. We love it's, that. Uh, it's it's really tough. These the uh, the owner operators call people that sell transmissions and differentials, and uh, they want to talk about running them direct. And right away they get belittled. You can't do that. Why would you ever <laughs> want to do that? So I mean, it's just the the people that sell the gears don't understand. You know, the the problem, Bruce, so. is the people that sell the trucks don't understand. The people that sell the engines don't understand. The, the people that sell all of this equipment really don't know how to operate it in the real world. They're as bad as doctors. Doctors want to fix you with pills that end up killing you. And people that sell transmissions and differentials, and a lot of truck salesmen, they don't understand. People are still selling new trucks with 336 gears, and guys tell them they want to run 70 mile an hour. Doesn't you know, work. You know, so, one of the best pieces of advice, a really good one anyway, and I remember exactly where I was. Um, I was at an Anthony Robbins uh, seminar. And it was about uh, finance, financial planning. And we were there on Black Monday. Uh, back in the 90s, the Black Monday, when the market just got hammered yeah. that day. We were, that was actually the first day of this financial planning seminar. So it was kind of a big deal. But when Anthony Robbins got up there, what he, what he said in his open really stuck with me. He said, think of the things that are important in your life to you, whatever that is. It's totally up to you. But if something's important in your life, you should not trust anybody else to be the expert. You should be the expert. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. If money's important to you, don't trust somebody else. And it's not easy, but go learn it yourself. If that truck is important to you and specking a truck and operating it efficiently, don't trust somebody else. Learn it yourself. And you're not going to do that with everything, but pick a couple things that are important in your life. For me... Um, it was basically business, money, and health. I said, those three things, I don't mm -hmm. really want to have to take advice from other people. I want to be the guy giving advice. Totally agree with that. Yeah, there you go. All right, let's go to uh, North Dakota. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I have a, hi, guys. Um, I have a uh, fleet air filter. I'm going to be cleaning it out. I'm just putting the spray on and wondering, is there a comparison to how much spray you should put in that air filter? Hey, John, let me jump in. You for This question is for David. Let me jump in there. David, we, we've been doing some things on different topics we call back to the basics. Just as, as simple as it might sound, we go back and explain things from the very beginning. And I think it really helps people. And... I think this is one of those 
times where this would be good. We get this question a lot. How often should I clean it? When do I know I should clean it? How do I clean it? How do I oil it? Why don't you just kind of give us the back to the basics version of this? You know, going back to basics, everybody's air filter or your cleaning process theoretically is different. I mean, you know, my trucks, they run off-road some, so I have to clean mine a little more often than a guy that would be, you know, strictly highway. So first thing that what I tell everybody to do is establish a, a cleaning mileage, you know, whatever mileage you want to clean of that. Um, take the filter out, look at it. If it's a three-wrap filter, uh, if it's a standard flow, that means outside the inside. You know, check your first wrap, look at it. So you'll establish how far the dirt actually makes it. We never want dirt to get to the third layer if it's a three-layer filter. So if that happens in 20,000 miles, then you want to clean it. If it happens in 60,000 miles, you want to clean it. You just establish a, a mileage pattern is all you're doing. Perfect. If it's a single wrap filter, um, I suggest on those that I would I'd look at it around fifteen or twenty thousand miles, and I would clean it because they're they're very simple to clean at that point. If it's if it is a single wrap filter, I suggest to most people that I would buy a second wrap, and I would just swap my wraps out. So, you know, there again, you have to establish a pattern for what you run in and when you should basically clean it. So, um, so the three wrap is, sounds pretty simple. If you have dirt getting to the third wrap, that's your time. You want to change it before that happens. So that one seems pretty simple. What's the visual indicator on a single wrap? How do I know when I need to set my time? Uh, visual indicator on a single wrap would be if you look at it and you can see the dirt, or the, the particles piling up on the outside of the layer on the top, it's time to clean it. Got it. That makes sense. What's the best yeah, way to I, clean it? Soap and water. It's Dawn dishwashing liquid. I like the blue. Okay. It, it works good. Put it directly on the filter. Don't don't put it in. You can put it in water and, and soap, but I, I've got now where I just I put the Dawn on the filter I wet the filter, I rub it or pat it, and just let the foam come up, and you let it sit there two or three minutes, rinse it out two or three times, oil it, put it back in. Perfect. And I also found out that, that a lot of times we'll let the filter dry. I shake them out, and I'll let them drip dry for, you know, four or five minutes probably. Then I'll oil them. Then I'll stick them back in. Okay. I mean, so being totally dry is not totally necessary. Got it. I mean, all the water don't mix. So, Okay. So next question, what's the best procedure and how do I know if I'm oiling it right? Um, each filter is going to have its own amount of oil it uses. So let's, let's say a 3518. That's our most popular filter on the market. That's a three-layer filter. You're going to end up using about a half a can on all three wraps. So um, depending on your circumstance again, but just say a 3518, the outer layer, you're going to oil the inside of the outer. You can oil the inside of the second, oil the outside of the inner. So when you touch the filter outside or reach inside the, the hole, 
you will not touch oil, oil at that point. Got it. So two two Audis and an Innie. Or was that two in, two, two Innies and an Audi? Yeah. yeah, that's what it that's is. That's a good way to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is there when... <laughs> Go ahead, Bruce. I always just oil the outers, so you're saying it's okay to do the inners then, huh? Do the inners. You don't you don't want the oil to be on the outside of the filter because what happens is it, it actually attracts too much too dirt much. to the outside. Yeah. Yeah, we we actually yeah. want the oil to the inside that way the dirt migrates through and touches the oil. Because you can think of the oil as being like a magnet. I mean when particles hit it it stops it immediately. <clears throat> All right. The guys so, that are in construction sites. Let's talk about a guy because I get this call a lot. Uh, they're running 12 and 14 parts per million on silicon. They're in construction. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So if we put the fleet air in there, I thought it was oiled on the outside only. So you want them to oil the very first layer. Inside. On inside. And then second the layer. Inside. Two innies and an Audi. Third layer. Yes. So in, in See, essence, you're... The third layer on the outside, right? In, in essence, you're almost combining the inside surface of the second filter. You're almost matching it to the outside surface. They're both oiled, and those parts come together almost. Yes, in reality, yes. Yeah, okay. What you're doing, you, you just, just think of it as... You know, a sandwich, I guess, in a sense. I mean, you want the oil in the center part because that way it attracts, it it, it has the ability to stop it in the filter because there's more room inside the cells of the foam there is on the outside layer of the foam. So if you oil the outside of the outer layer, you just end up creating a film of dirt and you, you lose your airflow a lot faster. Right, it just restricts. The yeah, foam. okay. That makes sense. Your restriction goes. I mean, it it'll stop the dirt. Right. You just right. lose your airflow ability for a longer length of time. Right. Now that so makes then sense. a guy, <laughs> excuse me, a guy with a three seventy nine, three eighty nine, W nine, dual external air filters. He's in construction. He has to wash all three layers, and do the two inners that are touching each other, and then do the outside. Right, because it's a reverse flow filter. Yeah, and, you know, Bruce, I, I really recommend this for everybody, but certainly in that case where they've got a lot of filters to clean, they're going to do it pretty often because they're in a dirty environment, I would have multiple sets of wraps. It just makes everything so much easier. Yeah, we, we sell most, most of the ones we sell, we sell a three pack of wrap. Yeah. But that's just doing the outside. You still got to take it apart and wash the insides now. Right. Right. On a reverse flow, you do. But you know, what about when it's just coming from the outside to the inside? Um, I I mean, I have personally taken the outside wrap off, washed it and put it back on. Yeah. But, but I I did it prematurely. I did it 12,000 miles, you know, or 15,000 miles. Because it's pretty quick and easy. Yeah, it's it's quick and easy, and it takes minutes to do. Right. You know, versus taking the whole thing apart and doing it. So, but you know, the like a Peterbilt, for example, you know, reverse flow. 
Uh, I have friends that have Peterbilts that come by here, you know, monthly. We pull it out. Normally, the filter on the left side, driver's side, is not really that dirty. The one on the right side is filthy. Hmm. And I see that over and over and over. Is that that just because the left side of the truck is over pavement and the right side of the truck is closer to the dirt? You know, I always go back to say, you know, air likes to travel path of least resistance. So it's it's a shorter distance from the air filter on the right side to the turbo than it is from the left side. Well, that's true. Yeah. Hmm. I I mean, that's what I've always chalked it up for. And I I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, um, my friend Terry, his is that way. Yeah, my and it's always that way. My thought when you said that was, you know, if you think about the right side of the truck, there there would be more dirt, debris, and it would get sucked right into the right, where the left side of the truck is over the center line of the asphalt, not as much dirt over there. But that they both make sense. Might be a combination of the two. Maybe. So now. On the Vortox air filter, the dirty air comes in the center. Mm-hmm. When you make that filter, are you oiling those filters differently? No. In reality, no. You, you always want to think of it that if you touch, if you put your hand inside the filter and you touch the foam, so inside you don't touch oil. Then when you touch the filter on the outside, you're touching the foam, you don't touch oil. The key is to have the oil in the center. Got it. That makes sense. That's a good way to think about mm-hmm. it. It's easy to remember then. We don't want oil yes. on the outside edges, on the outside surfaces. We want oil on the inside surfaces. Right. That way you trap the dirt within the filter. Got it. All right. Hey, John, did we answer your question? Yeah, you did. Thank you for taking my idea for Back to the Basics. <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome. All right. I think we need, we need to take these clips of Back to the Basics and put them in one spot in the app. That's a really good idea. Just yeah. one phone call, that, yep. Back to the Basics. Fleet air filter. Uh, that's a you really know. good idea. We're we're working towards that as we uh, continue to build out our oh, own yeah. technology. Where okay. we're, we're so j- since you mentioned that we are working on some technology, and my programming team says they're going to be able to pull this off. We will have the best search feature on any podcast anywhere. I've looked everywhere and I haven't found anybody doing this yet. And it's fairly new technology. We've been waiting for this to get better and I think we're there now. So we are working on a system where when we're talking like this and we say the word fleet air filter, we are going to be able to put in key terms and on its own, you're not going to have to go do searches. It's all going to be done in the background. When we say fleet air filter, the software is going to tag that spot in the audio. We were talking about fleet air filter. If in the next sentence we say a particular model of truck, uh, you know, whatever it might be, then it's going to tag that model of truck 
and then it will automatically yep. start indexing things. So if you want to know about a T600 and a fleet air filter, that'll be indexed like that already. So it'll all be automatic and, right. and it will sort things. So if you want to know about fleet air filter, you'll be able to just click on fleet air filter. You'll see every call where we mention it. And when you click on the link, it doesn't just take you to the show. It takes you to the point in the show where we were talking about it. Nice. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's well, what we're working on. Looking forward on. to that. Thank you guys very much for the information and uh, have a nice day. All right. Thanks for the call. Kevin. Go ahead, Bruce. Thanks. The guy with the 390 gears with the hot shot, I have his answer. Okay, good. Just needed a little time to think, and while Dave was talking, I was thinking. Good. Um, I have Matt. Matt runs the 353 gear, and in direct at 65, he's at 1425. If you're running 264s in direct at 65, it puts you right up in the 1500 range. And then he's running tall 22.5, so he's going to gain three more miles per hour. So his gear is 264 if he wants to run in direct. If he wants to run in ninth gear, uh, his gear is now 355. So, let, let's, go, 390. let's go back to that, Bruce. What was when you said um, the, the calculation you just did on those two ratios, if he wants to run in direct, what was his RPM going to be? His RPM is going to be in the mid 1500s. Okay, that's about perfect for that engine then. Yeah, and that puts that's in 200 it. RPM over peak torque. Yep, yep. And that's where you want to be, two to 300 RPM over peak torque. So yeah, if I was him, I'd put the 260 gears in. He's probably still on the show, so um, you don't have to call me if you don't want to. But if you do, we'll, we'll talk more about it. But the 264s or possibly 279s to run in direct. And to run in your double over, you're going to put in 355s. Perfect. There you go. All right. Good stuff. Let's uh, let's go to Florida. Charlie, watch out for the hurricanes. They're heading your way. I'm wa- I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. <laughs> Bruce, thank you. You were you were right, Bruce. On what? About my my 389. I uh, I bought that 389 glider. And uh, I got five thousand more than I paid for it on a trade, and I got a six sixty. <laughs> Remember, I said I, it was an in between truck. How long did you own it? Yeah, four months, and you thought it was terrible, Kevin. Yeah, sometimes I'm right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I traded it on a six sixty, so I got to come out and see you guys, Leroy, and. and uh, Pete knows I got it, I think, but I want to come out and get a balance and all that stuff. But I bought one of the class one folks who's traded in from McVeigh uh, Town or whatever. I don't know if you know. Yeah, those. yeah. I know. Yeah, but I, yeah, but I bought one of those, and uh, it's a, it's the six sixty to big bunk, and that's what I wanted to get before. So I'm happy with money in the bank and the truck. Good. And and weren't you going to retire a couple years ago? I am retired. I'm on social security. <laughs> <laughs> and and the family has a, a vacation planned for a year and a half now, two years since COVID. And it's, it's this week. They're, they just flew into Tampa this morning. So I don't know how Disney's going to be this week. Oh, I was just going to say they, they've okay. got, uh, they've got bad timing. 
Yeah, I know, but Charlie, Charlie is a true example of you can take the man out of the truck, but you can't take the truck out of the man. Because I've been talking to him for many years, and he's been retired a long time, <laughs> still buying trucks. <laughs> and actually doing pretty good at it from those numbers. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus, I gotta, I gotta make this into a better fuel economy. It's three thirty-six, isn't it? Eighteen. So, I'm gonna try for two forty-sevens or something. But, but anyway, it's call me. Let's talk about that first. Let's talk about that first. Okay. Well, I know you're. I know you're busy today. (laughs) (laughs) I'll call you tomorrow when I'll call you tomorrow when it's four nine. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, they're closed in the airport at five o'clock today. So in Tampa. Oof. So don't don't plan on coming down. All Look right. at my schedule here. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thursday I have two appointments. Uh, tomorrow I'm okay, and I'm okay for this afternoon. So. All right. Okay. Perfect. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call, Bye. Charlie. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Your, your theory. Well, your theory. It, it doesn't work a lot of the time because a lot of the time those 379s and them W900s, they're out in the left lane getting it. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, you're <laughs> right. You're further away from the ground. You're right. I should yeah. have thought of that. Good point. Yeah. So I have two complete sets of the fleet air filters um, because yeah, I bought my original ones. But well, one time I procrastinated too much and I'd washed them. I was at home. I washed them, but I didn't oil them. The day I had to oil them, it was 28 degrees. That clot's oil does not spray out real good at 28 <laughs> degrees. So I decided to hell with this. I'm buying another set. So I just, the canisters and everything. So if I get home and it's like, oh, i got to change my messages. I just swap them out, and then I just make a note that the other ones are dirty, and then I, I've got twenty five thousand miles before I got to wash them and oil them. So, yeah. hey, hey, Paul, you could have just waited until your wife wasn't home and sprayed them in the kitchen. I don't think my wife would like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you just wash them in the bathtub. Exactly. Yeah, yeah and then she wouldn't like that. Hang them up, <laughs> hang them up in there, and spray them. Yeah, we don't care if it's cold outside. Yeah. Like a shower. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, uh, after listening to David Counts about, because I've always hung them up and let them dry out before I oiled them. Well, uh, I'm I'm going to sort of quit doing that now. So, shorten up the process. There you go. Oh, you've had those filters for how long now? I bought my first set in 2014. And when they rebuilt my engine, I put new wraps on them. And then 2019 is when I bought the second computer. So, wow, isn't that crazy, David? Oh, wow. We've we, we've, we've got people now that have had fleet air filters for a decade. Doesn't that seem crazy? Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. Yeah, well, I only, I only had. I never bought paper air filters for this truck. 
I pulled, I pulled the original air filters out and put fleet air filters in it. So I've probably got a million miles with fleet air filters. Nice. Nice. Hey, yeah. Bruce, and, you you were the one that introduced me to fleet air filter. How'd you find him? We was mm. at Trupshire in Louisville. Was it? Is that where it was? Mm-hmm. I didn't think I introduced you to David. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty huh. sure you did. Yeah. I know we used to make the foam filters for the ski boats in the river because... <laughs> they didn't have filters at all. River, we, <laughs> no, they just had the flame arrestor and it's <laughs> right. 15 hours. 15 hours of running, we were at 25 parts per million on silicon. Ooh. And when I called the engineer at Pleasure Craft Marine, they were in Ohio... I uh, asked him, why don't you use air filters? He said, well, there's no dirt above water. <laughs> and I said, have you ever done an oil analysis? And this is an engineer where they convert the small block Ford and the small block Chevy to marine engines. And he said, what's an oil analysis? Oh. And then I knew, I knew I didn't have the right guy. And uh, I told him we have 25 parts per million of silicon in 15 hours and we should be by two and that didn't mean anything to them. So we started building our own. We would buy the AMS oil foam filter for a small block shaving, wrap it around and sell it. Nice. And I, and then also on the Corvette that I rode race, it had the Rochester fuel unit on it. It came from the factory with a foam air filter. So then maybe when I saw David, I'm just trying to think back, and I saw his air filters, maybe the light bulb went off, and I said, no, there's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, we, we actually you know, you know, Kevin and David, we've all been in this automotive thing and truck thing our entire life. But when you look back at what brought us to different things, and, and most of the owner-operators listening have been in trucks their whole life, it's all those past experiences that bring us to where we are today. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. All right. I have a question for Pete. I have a question for Pete. Go ahead. Yes, Paul. Do you have a, do you have a crankshaft damper for ISX in stock? No, oh, let me look here real quick. Tell you in a minute. I'll sing while we're waiting. <laughs> I, do. I do have them in stock. Okay, good deal. I'll call Eric. There you go. Today. Have fun. All right. Thanks for okay, the call. Thanks. That's all we need. All right. We uh, I think we're about to wrap this up. Any Anything anybody wants to close with? Doesn't sound like it. No. I've got something. Since we're no. just about out of time. And if another call comes in, we'll take it. I, I'm just, we're, we're out of calls today. It's unusual. Calls were a little light today. Usually this segment we get hammered. But uh, so, David, since we have a couple minutes, have you seen the Tiffin fifth wheels? Um, no. Okay. Not in person. Yeah. So but you, I, I know you're very familiar with Tiffin. What's your opinion? They're not built that oh, far man. from you. No, they're not. I actually do a little warranty work for them every now and then. You know, as I said, every now and then, because they just don't have a lot of problems. I mean, well, that's a good um, sign. Usually, is yeah. I mean, you know, they're they're well built. 
Um, they used good parts and pieces, and they tried to stay away from the foreign parts. I mean, as far as like, you know, the the cheaper you know, water pumps, for example, you know, I mean, you got a, a, a $89 water pump, then you got a $175 or $200 water pump. Right. They used expensive water pump. I mean, yeah. they just last longer. So. Yeah, they're, they're bay doors. They they make their own bay doors. Some of the best I've ever seen. The quality on their doors is just incredible. So you kind of know the lay of the land when it comes to RVs, coaches, motorhomes. So you've got the all the kind of middle of the road kind of stuff, Winnebago, all those, you know, the big names. Then you jump up to, you know, Marathon and the stuff built on the Prevos. I always kind of felt like the country coach was kind of right in between. It wasn't that crazy, expensive, you know, marathon kind of stuff, but it it was just better quality than a lot of the other coaches on the market. And it seems to me like Tiffin might fall into that spot as well. Yeah, Tiffin, Tiffin's quality is very, very good. Um, as far as like their workmanship that goes in it, I mean – you can tell when they put things together. I mean, if it needed 10 screws to go in it, they put 10 screws in it. They didn't put seven. Yeah. You know, I mean, we get like awnings that come in that, that should have like, um, like the awning rail, for example, you know, they have holes about every six inches apart. I've literally seen where they'll skip every other hole. <laughs> Not tipping. <laughs> right. Other manufacturers. Right. And I'm like, come on, it takes, 10 more screws to make it to make it right uniform yeah and, yeah yeah so but and, uh, yeah. hey i'm trying to google tip and pitfall and i'm not finding anything uh, he's brand new yeah i think it is the mod they're called beacon is the um is the actual model but it's a division of let me see if i can beacon, find b-e-a-c-o-n it. yeah it's a division of tiffin and i think beacon it's really new because it's, it's the first time I've ever, yeah, let's see. Oh, no, they're actually... Yeah, but why, what's wrong with your What's wrong with your current motorhome? So, here's what I'm finding. Um, you know, I don't care about the miles. That never bothered me until I got to this number of miles and I'm seeing the kind of problems I'm having. You know, I thought, well, look, the, the driveline, that's a million mile driveline. It's a Cat C13. It's, you know, it should last forever and it will. The, and the rest of the coach we've stayed up with. The house part, if something wears out or breaks, we replace it. So it, it's like new. The thing that's making me insane are these leaks. Hoses rubbing together. And when I go back to the factory, they say, look, we don't, nobody ever puts these kind of miles on these things. And when they do, we see problems that we never see before. And this is one of them. You know, the way we wrap our hoses and all that, they last for 100,000 miles, no problem, and very few people get to that number. I'm coming up on 200,000 on mine, and we're just constantly replacing hoses and chasing down leaks, and I just, if so I keep it, just, if I keep it, and I might, why don't you build, I'm, I'm going to tell the factory. Why don't you build a 53-foot toy hauler? Because uh, I can't get, in, can't get into RV parks. You just can't do it. Yeah, that's big. Uh, that's way yeah. too. Uh, the, the, that's very tough. Yeah, if if I were to build a fifth wheel custom, and you can, there are a couple companies out there that build some pretty nice stuff. I think I just stick with forty five feet. Yeah. Anything more than that, and you really start to limit where you can go. The, and the thing there, though, 
you know, I, if I look at building a custom fifth wheel and then buying a tractor, I'm right back to that half million dollars where I'm going to be with a coach. So I thought, Tiffin, it's a really, really nice fifth wheel. And I thought, what if I just buy a new one every two years? Just replace the fifth wheel every two years. Here's the problem with doing that. The amount of stuff that you accumulate. Oh, right. I went you from one right. fifth wheel to the next. I spent seven days carrying stuff. I, and I had them parked side by side. And Gary that used to work for us had retired early on us. He just did that on a toy hauler. And he was stunned at how long right. it takes. And you just, you know, it's up and down the three, four steps, up and down the three, five. It's arm load after arm load. You don't want to do that every two years. Bruce, you, that is the one thing that is keeping me from reconsidering that idea. You're absolutely right. When when we borrowed your truck the first time to move out of our coach into our first toy hauler, I was shocked at how long that took us. That was a huge job. You think, oh, it can't be that bad. Yeah. You park them right next to each other. Like you're almost stepping off one step onto the other step. They're that close. And yeah, we that it was a lot of work. That That is... Something I've got to consider. So we'll so see. Why has a lot of manufacturers quit making fifth wheels and they're concentrating on motorhomes? And now, why all of a sudden does Tiffin decide to make fifth wheel? Uh, fifth wheels have always been wildly popular. I don't really see the popularity of fifth wheels going down. I mean, I almost see the opposite. It, I, I love mine. I love mine. So, yeah, it, it's. It, I, I work on. You know, you're talking about that motorhomes versus fifth wheels or tag-alongs. I work on as many motorhomes as I do fifth wheels. So it's it's about 50-50 is what I see. I, now, the people that's traveling across country that's retired, most of them are in motorhomes. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and part of that is because they can afford it. I mean, the, the coach is significantly more expensive. And you think about most people who pull a fifth wheel, they're going to pull it with a pickup truck that is their vehicle anyway. They would own that pickup truck whether they had a fifth wheel or not. So they don't have any real additional cost there. If I'm going to pull a fifth wheel, I'm going to pull it with a tractor. And this time I, it would either be new or very close to new if I buy another one. There was a couple, you know, I spent several years in the RV industry. The other thing was, um, back then, fifth wheels didn't have automatic leveling. I don't know if they do now. They do. Or the motorhome yeah. does. And, and again, I like the fifth wheel. But they said if you park in a bad area and you get woken up in the middle of the night and you're somewhere where you shouldn't be, and if you're in a fifth wheel, you got to get out of the vehicle and get into the next vehicle. Yeah, that's a factor, too. It's nice being in the coach. and when just you carry, Just carry your shotgun. Right. Just carry your yeah. shotgun on one hand and a pistol on the other, and <laughs> you're going to be okay. But That's uh, pretty much the way I travel. So, uh, yeah, there, there, you know, there, there's all those factors. You kind of go back and forth. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. I'm just trying to decide. If, if country coach were still building coaches, I would just upgrade to a new country coach, and I'd be happy. I, I, I love the one I have. And if I decide to keep it, I am, it's down in the shop now and I'm going to tell them, I want you to put two mechanics. I want this thing up on the lift and I want them to work until they can promise me there are no more hoses rubbing against each other and they fixed them all. And I don't care how long it takes, just do it. 
because that's the one thing that's just driving me crazy right now. And are these thick and thick wheels, are they dual wheels, or are they still doing a three-axle single wheel, which is a mistake? So they, nobody, other than the custom builders, nobody's doing like a dual wheel on a fifth wheel. So Tiffin has three or four models. Um, if it's not a toy hauler, it's a tandem axle. And if it is a toy hauler, it's a triple axle because of the weight in the garage. Okay. Mine was a Newmar Country Air, and it had the dual wheels. Yeah, that's almost unheard of now. It's really hard to find. Yeah. And if I were to build a custom, that's the way I would do it. I, w I would do... It was phenomenal. Yeah, that's that's the way to do it. The The three axles on the toy the haulers are was awful. I, I tw wheel bearings were a constant issue for me on the toy hauler with the three axles and all the yeah. twisting. I was constantly breaking U-bolts back there on the suspension and yeah, they don't turn well. Yeah. They drag that other axle so bad. It, it, it usually bends on space if you're loaded pretty heavy. Yeah. And we were always overloaded. I yeah, well, we are too. I'm yeah, we were always way overweight. We take, we take the world with us when we get it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was really bad when we had the smart car up on the back of the tractor and two full-size ATVs back in the garage and all the other stuff. We were mm -hmm. so overweight on that thing. Yeah, it just it just happens. I mean, yeah. you don't mean to, but yeah, you know, oh. you know, I get. A lot of phone calls, people want to buy new travel trailers or motorhomes, et cetera. And they always ask me what the number one problem is. And most of the problems are self-inflicted first <laughs> because it, it becomes the slide-outs. Because what happens, everybody packs all this stuff on their slide-out, and they pack it under the couch. and the There you go. That's right. Next thing you know, they got six or seven or 800 pounds packed in it. Well it ends up wearing the roller out or it ends up shearing the pin on the motor. Yep. So, I mean, if you ever want to know what the major thing is we work on? Slides. Slides, slides yep. Slides and, is, and they leak. Slides is the number one thing. <laughs> and they leak. And they leak. Yep. yep. But, you know, there's there's new gaskets out that, that eliminates a lot of it. You know, I built my own slide-out tracks on my motorhome. And it actually works like it's on a, a swing. So my motorhome, you know, my slide house doesn't ride on the floor at all. Oh, nice. So just imagine an A, and it has a pivot. And the pivot, it just swings like you're in a, a swing at home. Oh, nice. That's how it rides. That's interesting. I, I mean, I designed it myself. I built it all myself. And why they don't build slide outs like this beats me. <laughs> The same reason they don't build Class A trucks the way we do. <laughs> but you know, we're, you know, we, we were talking about it a while ago. Um, we're problem solvers. I right. mean, we take something yep. that's broken and we fix it. And you know, like Bruce is saying, like the doctors and all that. I mean, when you come in our shop, we sit and talk to you. We don't spend two minutes and try to figure out what's wrong. We spend 30 minutes to an hour and you showing us what's wrong with your motorhome or your truck or your car or whatever. And we learn from that. Yeah. And I, I can absolutely verify that both the two shops, because I've hung out at both of them. I've spent plenty of time at your shop and it's impressive. Mm -hmm. Really is. 
And we, you know, I, I believe in personal talking to people, just getting personal with them and figuring out what their problem is. If it's self-inflicted, we try to help you fix it. And, and we tell you what to do and what not to do. There you go. All right. Good stuff. Hey, we- yeah, I'm looking at Van Lay, a division of Tiffin. Yep. It's called the Ambition. Um, it's a three-axle, single-wheel, three-axle. That's a toy hauler. Though. They haven't learned. Yeah, that's the toy hauler. Oh, that's a toy hauler? Yeah. Can, yeah, can, you, hauler. Okay. can you see the specs on those? Are those 8,000-pound axles? I, it's Most likely so. right now. That's what I'm just wondering, because I was if I decide to buy one, I'm going to check all this out. I just haven't had time yet. Mo, I'm wondering if anybody's upgrading at least over the 8,000-pound axles or not, because that's pretty standard in them. I personally right. like the oil bath axle better. Uh, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think they're, what, 10,000 pounds? Yeah, and nobody puts them on. But you can if I built something, I'd go to something like that more custom. They're finally now... Yeah. Um, like, well, TIFF and the higher-end fifth wheels, there aren't many high-end fifth wheels out there. Mobile Suites is the other one that's pretty well-built. Um, they're finally at least going to disc brakes on those. Yeah, most likely on the chassis itself that TIFF is not building the chassis. I bet somebody else is building it for Probably. Them. I'd have yeah. to check into that it, to it, know. But, um, they've got some really interesting floor plans. So one of their floor plans, the kitchen is the very back of the fifth wheel. And I will tell you, it is the, one of the most beautiful kitchens I've ever seen in a motorhome period. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's the whole back of the, the, the fifth wheel is the kitchen, the very back. I've never seen a layout like that, but it's really interesting. Um, or... If you go to the living room in the back, which is much more common, they raise the living room up so high that you have got the biggest storage compartment in the back of that fifth wheel I have ever seen. There's another problem I see with this. There's five steps to get in. Nope. That means the fifth nope. wheel is too high. No, Bruce, 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 let me correct you on that. I was actually at Lippert. Uh, Lippert builds those stairs. Lippert builds almost everything that goes on RVs. I was there when the engineer was designing that five-step. It has nothing to do with the height of the fifth wheel. In fact, th- this fifth wheel is lower than most. It, they built a lot of storage underneath. That It's just those five steps are really, really nice. The two and three steps, you get into a weird spot, you got to you know, step way up to get to them. No matter how you level this, that five step, the, your first step is almost down at the ground. Does this one here fold out the door, the step? Or is it the, the three steps that you just pull out? No, it's, it's a... I know you're looking at it. Yeah, it's a five step. Yeah. So does it, you know, they have some steps that when you open the door, the step is actually folded up inside of the door, then you just fold it down. And it's just a longer step, and they're really, really well built. Have you seen those? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's this is kind of somewhere in between. Like I said, this was a new design on the okay. steps from Lippert. We're starting to see these steps on on just about all the fifth wheels. The other thing about um, this fifth wheel is really unusual. Everything other than the small bedroom slide, all the slides are hydraulic. The bedroom's electric, 
But on a fifth wheel, that's hard to find. Right. All right. Hey, we've got some calls while we were talking. Some calls came in, so we're going to go take them. Uh, Pete in Illinois, welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Um, I've been meaning to call and ask for some help with my um, my air system on my truck, and I cannot seem to keep the condensation water out of my tanks. Your air tanks. Uh, have you have you changed yeah. the air dryer? I, I put the how, whole new system on. Yeah, the whole new unit. Yep, not just how, the filter. How about the compressor itself? How many miles are on it? Uh, the compressor is not very old. Uh, I did put a compressor on it, uh, and it didn't and, change a thing. And do you have any air leaks, or does it hold air really well? Well, here's what I can do is I can park my truck, and everything stays inflated for 36 hours. Uh, you've got You're some bad. leaks. Um when when you've got leaks yep. and the compressor runs more often, it will run hotter and you'll develop more condensation. Okay. Um, it's a Volvo, so it does have a lot of plastic fittings. Um, and, you know, I'm certain there are some slight leaks, but I have so much water in my tanks, it's crazy to me. Hmm. I've they're, had a, they're, a couple of other Volvos in the past, hey, and no, no, I mean, in the t- uh, no water tanks at all. The the only place water can come from is condensation, right? I mean, there's no other way we can get water in this, right? Anybody? I mean, it'd be antifreeze when he'd be adding antifreeze, right? And if he's not adding it, can't be that. Like you said, it's well, simply water, which is I, that's interesting. That's interesting because I do fill my my coolant reservoir fairly regularly well wait wait hey 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 pete pete yeah if you were going to call about a truck problem why wouldn't you call about that you should never have to put coolant in it's a sealed system if you have to put coolant in continuously something's wrong yeah i just can't figure out well we may have figured it out i wonder what engine is this well, let me ask you that. It's a D12. Hmm. Let, let me ask you this. If I, the stuff that I drain out of my tanks, wouldn't that be the reddish color of the coolant then? Or smell like coolant? It never smells like coolant. So did you have this problem before you replaced the air dryer? Okay, so it's been consistent. Um, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. You know, I'm, Bruce, we had, we had this same problem before on a um, unit we had here, and I, I had to call Bruce and talk to him about it. <laughs> Remember that, Bruce? Did we lose Bruce? Bruce? I think we lost him. We might have. Huh. The line's still there. Well, let me refresh and make sure it is still there. Yeah. Water in the air tanks anymore. I mean, years ago, it was a little more of an issue. Nowadays, it's almost almost unheard of. Yeah. And if you have it and you get rid of it, it shouldn't it shouldn't come back that fast. 
In fact, it shouldn't come back at all, but. Yeah. Hmm. Does the air tire fit when it builds air pressure? Is it doing what it's yeah. supposed to do? Yeah. So, now, yeah. yeah. How. Have you ever put a cardboard underneath it, like as it's building air and let it spit and see what's coming out of there? I haven't done that. I mean, I know moisture comes out of it. Uh, what am I looking for? A specific color? Well, that anything's coming out of there. I didn't know if anything would be coming out. You know, maybe the air dryer's not doing its job. It's kind of what you it know, sounds it like. I, I know we replaced it, but it doesn't sound like it's working. I mean, even if you have a truck that's producing a lot of water for some reason, the compressor's getting hot and there's more condensation, the air dryer should take care of it. You should have dry air. You should, if you have a truck that produces too much moisture, you would just have to replace your air dryer more often. But it, it shouldn't be this yeah. wet all the time. It is, and I've replaced cartridges before, and I, I've replaced the whole unit. Um, is there a chance that it might be the wrong unit? Uh, well, how are you? How did you decide what unit to put on it? Um. I mean, when you went to buy the new air dryer, how did you tell them which part? Did you just take it to a shop and say, replace the air dryer? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I would yeah. assume that they look up the right part. And honestly, an air dryer is an air dryer. I mean, even if it's a different model, it shouldn't work any different. Okay. I mean, nothing I can think of yeah, would be... It, it's kind of like an external system that just does its thing. It just takes water out. So, you know, we could have multiple different styles. It shouldn't matter, though. Yeah. I mean, I see the water at the glass handles. Condensation. Yeah, that's a lot of water. Something. I, I don't know what would be causing that. We end up replacing the uh, compressor on the unit we had. It stopped. We didn't have the issue anymore. That, yeah, I did that. I put a compressor on it because of that. Yeah. Same exact thing, no change. Hmm. I'm kind of stumped on this one. Yeah, me too. Okay, well, thank you guys. Yeah, maybe, you know, a lot of times when we, we get calls like this, I'll, I'll get emails or people will send me messages, so I'll keep an eye out in case somebody has an idea. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to, uh, well, right here in Portland. Richard, welcome to the program. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. What's on your mind today? Uh, you guys are, uh, yeah, you guys are uh, thinking about motorhomes, so I just had a couple of questions about mine. Sure. Um, I, I do drive a truck, but it's not. It's a company truck. I, I, I drive your favorite, a 389 there you go. Well, you don't so have to pay mine. for the fuel. The Who fuel cares? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right. Yeah, at four and a half, five miles to the gallon, uh, the yeah. boss doesn't seem to worry about yeah. it. Yeah, That's all right no. then. So, but I do haul. I, I haul heavy haul over here in Oregon, though, so it's it's going to get a little worse mileage. But gotcha. Anyway, uh, what I called about was about my motorhome. Uh, my wife and I decided to go to a Class A last year, 
And with our budget being pretty low, we bought an older one. We bought a 98 Fleetwood Discovery 36T. Okay. Got the little Cummins 24 valve in it. Um, the thing 24 valve with the 5.9? Just have the 5.9 in it? Okay. Yes, sir. Hey, um, hey, it David. It runs immaculate. It's perfect. It's yes, sir. Hey, uh, Richard, hold on just one second. This is awful close to what you sold me sure. for my first RV, wasn't it? I had the 5.9 in it. It was a discovery. I don't remember what year it was, though. May have even been older than that. Do you remember it? I only kept it for about six months, and then we went out and built the fifth wheel, but uh, uh, pretty similar. Go ahead, Richard. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, anyway, uh, so we bought this thing. Uh, it's got 62,000 original miles. It's in excellent shape. I mean, it's like you walk into a time warp. It's brand new inside. Nice. Folks had it, just took very good care of it. Yeah. Yeah. So and it, it's uh, so last year when we bought it, I did all the servicing on it. I did it all myself. Um, I'm, I'm a kind of a hands-on guy anyway. Um, one of the questions I do have, though, is I'd like to have... Uh, know if there's a fleet air filter available for this vehicle that's a special order filter i do make them from that do you yeah i just need that there's a part number on it just get the part number off the canister and you can just call the shop and then tell them what it is and and we can make you one okay all right well i, I did replace it last year so but uh i would like to do that and also do you uh, know if the scan gauge will work on this older coach uh, it should, you should still have a, uh, 98. We were still using the same, um, uh, I just forgot the name of that out that port. Um, that should be the same though. Right, David, they were, they weren't using the, is it an OBD two? I can't, I couldn't remember. It might be, it might just be an OBD two. I think it is. If, if it's an OBD two and you got to figure this out first or what's the other one? J 1939. Is that right? I think so. so. And there's two, but it's I think J1939, they look the same. It's the same physical connection. Um, you don't want the scan gauge KR, though. The scan gauge KR won't work on an OBD2. You would get the standard scan gauge. Oh, okay. So you're not going to get the I'll special you, features in that, that we programmed into ours if it's an OBD2. So it's got the... The port, there's a there's a cable with a, a port that hangs down on the motor, off the side of the motor. Is that where it'd plug in? Mm, it might be. under the dash. Yeah, or you, it, there should be something under the dash. And one of the yeah, easy ways to, stopping. I mean, you can just Google a picture of an OBD2 port and a J1939. They're very, very different. There's no confusing the two. You know, I have seen them. Have two ports on them before. Oh, that'd be nice if they gave you both. If if, if you yeah. have not the OBD two, or if it has both, and you've got a J nineteen thirty nine, then you can get the scan gauge KR and get all the extra features. Yeah, I'm familiar with an OBD two. I mean, that's what all our vehicles have. Yeah, standard cars. Um, has anybody? Uh, Leroy, you might know this. Has anybody seen Volvo's now going to OBD2? Yeah. On their trucks. Yeah, that's a yeah. pretty common thing. Yeah. The, uh, 
the, the one that hangs down off of the, the side of the motor, it, it looks just like the one in my Peterbilt that I'm driving. It's kind of a rounded, uh, rounded shape. Then that'll be the... Yeah, you either have a round... That's the one you need. Yep. Or, uh, yeah, okay. Now, is there any signal degradation going all the way to the back, or would I need to put some kind of... I don't know. Is there, you'd probably know better than I. I actually don't, don't JR. Do we have to worry about... Cable. Do we have to worry about cable length? Uh, how long is it? That's a 35 feet. So we're, looking be, at a, we're looking at about you know, 35, 40 feet. 40 like feet that. of cable. No, you'll be, you'll be all right with that. Yeah, I mean, almost. Oh, okay. uh, that's how all the Class A's are. They're running everything from the engine all the way up front. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. We do, well, we do have... We do have 45-foot lead wires for pyrometers, and those B engines at 5.9 runs very, very hot in the motorhome, and it works its guts out. Yes, it and does. They break a lot of manifolds, a lot of exhaust manifolds. Yeah, that is. And you want to take that muffler off of there and get a straight-through resonator on there. They put extremely restrictive mufflers on motorhomes. Yeah, I've thought about that, that. So just put a, just just take it off, put a resonator on it. Yeah, that yeah. that five nine. Okay. If I if I remember right, I'm thinking I had something like five thirteen gears in that thing. That's exactly what mine has. Five thirteen. Yeah, I think that was yeah. pretty standard. Yep. And that's the that five nine is way too small. It just is for that big of a coach. And I pulled sure. a trailer behind mine, uh, but I will say. As small as it is, they did a hell of a job getting every ounce of performance out of it you could. It, it does pretty well for the size of it, but honestly, it's just underpowered. That's because it's yeah. a Cummins. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well uh, just just as an example, I mean, it, it ran really well. We took it on a, after I serviced it. I put brand new tires all the way around it last summer, and we took it to uh, Missouri. I live up here in Oregon. And we took it down to Missouri, did a 5,000-mile trip. I averaged just a little over 10 miles to the gallon, and that was pulling a small car behind it. Good. And that, awesome. and it took yeah, those hills. are... It, it took the Wyoming grades out there. It took the grades just... Uh, I set it's, it in cruise control, and it, it 50 miles an hour was the slowest I got going over it. Yeah, like I said, it's, pre, it's pretty so, impressive. Really they Yeah, they, they did a hell of a job for, for the size of it. You know, the other thing that's nice, that's a really, really common engine... Um, I could remember the starter yeah. went out on mine. I was actually down in Tennessee at the time. Starter went out on it, um, went down to the parts store, and they were just slammed. It was busy. Guy behind the counter is like, I, you know, I, I don't think we have one in stock. I'll have to order one for you. He said, you know, he said, we've got like parts laying around we haven't put away yet. He said, if you want to wander around back there and see if you can find one, go ahead. I, I swear to God, I walked back into their parts department I got two rows in, and I looked down, and there was a starter sitting on the floor, and it was the right one. And I, I bought it, put it in. I was shocked. It was just laying there on the floor. They didn't think they had any. And I looked down, and I'm like, that looks an awful lot like my starter. Sure enough, it was the right one. So they're pretty easy to get parts for. Dodge starter or something, probably. Yeah, pretty easy to get yeah. parts for. And we, we loved ours. I mean, it was, we called it the Partridge family bus. Ours was not in good shape. It was old and pretty wore out, but we had fun with it. My wife loves this thing. I, I, 
I have really no desire to go with it any and any higher end one because with all the electronics nowadays, it's, I'm not. I want to be oh, able it, to fix it myself. Yeah, it. Uh, well, I will tell you, it can so, get pretty complicated yeah. these days. Yeah. 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 All right, nah. guys. Well, thank nah. you so much, and and thank you for your uh, your keto advice. That's helped us too in our in our uh, adventure and in, in our health. Good. As well, good. So. Hey, uh, you know, I just got thinking about it. This this show right here, this team that we've got on the phone, we could do a hell of a podcast for the RV world. We have a lot of experience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Pete and and uh, Leroy, you guys are you fit right in with the electronics and engines, and we could do a hell of a podcast. Not that any of us have time, yeah, but we don't have uh, motorhomes. Yeah. Yeah. The motorhome world, as far as like the engine side of it, the motors are turned down so much it's unbelievable. Right. I yeah. Mean, just, yeah, I turned up a lot of motorhomes. <laughs> They're fun. <laughs> I mean, hey, that's yeah. a whole nother, hey. that's a whole nother deal for Bruce. <laughs> Leroy, we, we might yes. have to we might have to talk at some point because you you really have to drive my coach now. There's no more just putting it on cruise control and listening to a book. I've got to drive it. We might, we might turn it down a little bit at some point. Ah, uh, come on. We'll see. We'll see. I'm having fun with it, but just put like a throttle. What's that? It's like a throttle stop. Oh, there you go. Just put a throttle stop on. Yeah. I mean, I I have and to. Then just it when you need to. Go. I have to work to keep my boost under sixty. <laughs> That would be an issue. <laughs> <laughs> now, te- I'll, I'll correct that. I have to work to keep it under fifty, and I do. I, I really don't like, like to. But uh, it, but if I let if I just let the cruise run, I'll hit sixty pounds of boost. It's a yeah. sleeper. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's <laughs> uh, why I said motorhomes are fun. They are. They are. I'm having fun with it. Um, all right. Let's uh, calls are still coming in. Let's grab some. Jerry in Indiana. What's on your mind? Hi, Kevin. I just want to follow through that guy with a Volvo that's got water in his tanks all the time, and I have absolutely positively no clue if this is a problem, but if he bought this truck used, the first thing he needs to verify is the plumb correctly. He might be going straight from the compressor into the tanks and then into the dryer. It might not even be plumbed correctly. That's why he's always got water in his tanks. Oh, it certainly couldn't hurt to check that. Yeah. That's the first thing I'd suggest is make sure it's plumbed correctly because there's absolutely no no reason whatsoever that if it's plumbed correctly that he has any water in the tanks unless, now I had some freight liners and they had one tank that was what they called the wet tank and two tanks were dry tanks. You always had water in the wet tank, never had water in the dry tanks because that's just the way it was plumbed. It went from the compressor into one tank, then it went into the dryer, and then it went into the other two tanks. So... You need to verify and make sure he's getting water out of all of these tanks. If he is, I suggest that he verify that it's plumbed correctly. Now, good it's point. But nope, back to the basics. I like it. Yep. All right. That's all I had. All right. Thanks for the call. Hey, we've uh, speaking of an RV podcast. We've got another RV question. Randy, welcome. <laughs> hey, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, I love the RV talk. My plan this winter is I'm pulling my fifth wheel with the semi. I've got a glider kit. Any issues going into California with that? 
Uh, no, no, no issues whatsoever. You're not a commercial vehicle. But let me. The, the rules in California let me tell are only you what commercial. You, need to do. you have to. You need an air ride pit wheel, or you need yep. ping tanks on your rear suspension, and you'll pull or, that full apart like I did. Or both. I, I, both I isn't even a bad idea. Uh, 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 goose, air, air, air goose. Uh, what do they call it? Uh, oh, you have a goose. You have a, a goose, goose neck? box air ride. Really? Yeah, I converted it to a goose. Yes, and it's okay. air ride. It's called a. Uh, and okay. I, I put my own uh, uh, goose ball behind the commercial fifth wheel. Oh, okay. Because I'm still using this as a, as a as a as a working truck. Oh, that's an interesting setup. And the 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 gooseneck mount itself is an air ride. The mount. Yes. Okay. Well, that'll do it. It's called I mean, a, goose, a goose box. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. And and then uh, I, I actually then I've I I made up my own uh, five by seven plate. Locking it onto the commercial fifth wheel, throwing an ATV up there, so I can remove it, go back to work. You know. Oh, nice setup. Okay. And uh, all right, I wanted to go to Mexico, but I'm a little bit afraid of that one. With a go in a group. If you go to Mexico, go with a group. Um, the escapees. Down there, they won't look at me funny with the commercial truck. No, no, I don't think so. The escapees has a group. They're out of Livingston, Texas, and they go down once a year. And they caravan down to Mexico. Hey, Randy, I have an idea for you. Yeah. When you're all done with vacation, load that fifth wheel up with illegal immigrants. (laughs) It'll pay for the whole trip. (laughs) No, 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 no. Uh -uh. All right. Just a thought. I, I... You get that feeling when you cross over the board, you realize something <laughs> right you did give up. Oh, yeah. I know. Uh-uh. I know. I get it. I, I did want to visit uh, Ensenada, though, and maybe I'll try to team up with some people to that, you know, because that's a real good idea. Yeah. Yeah, start a rally. You want me to give you a phone right. number? You want me to give you a phone number of a guy to call? Does he go down there regular, sir? No, he's been a full-time RVer for over 30 years. <laughs> I've been down there several times, but not in a commercial vehicle. Nah, you'll be fine. So, it, yeah, no real difference. Uh, because you're not a commercial vehicle. I mean, you, you, you might look like one, but you're not a commercial vehicle. That's why California isn't an issue for you. Right. Can you write down a phone number? I can. I'm grabbing a pen. Go ahead. Five zero five two three five. Yep. Zero one seven five. His name is Andy. He's a retired fire prevention engineer. Very smart guy. Uh, great guy. I traveled a lot with him. Back in the late nineties and early two thousands. I'll ask you. Five oh five two three five zero one seven five. He's living in Texas now, but he spent a lot of years down in Yuma and he's he'll know he'll tell you the groups to get with to go down into Mexico. 
Well, that, that's exactly where I'm going is Yuma for, perfect. for a while. So Yeah, yeah. perfect. There you go. Thanks. There you go. See, we could. uh, Sorry, cut you off right when you said that. Uh, See, we can do a hell of an RV podcast. Let's go to uh, California. Al, welcome to the program. Uh, Thanks for taking the call. That was pretty quick. So I've got uh, 2014 Kenworth uh, T680 ISX, and I'm the fifth one that got the Dorothy on there way back then. And then been using the catalyst since the start of it. And it's got, it, I've been down to Pittsburgh Power, so it's got uh, the uh, uh, ECM, you know, built upgrade on there. Uh, I'm consuming oil, so it's going to need an overhaul. I'm down about 2,000 miles a gallon, sometimes oh. three. Oh, yeah, uh, it's 3, time. 3,000, it's about the best I can get. It's time. Yeah. So, um, truck has been paid off for about, uh, just almost a year and I really don't want to get another truck. So my question is Pittsburgh power. What's a ballpark, uh, engine overhaul, um, cost and your financial advice. Should I keep it? I'm 61. I would probably use it for another seven years. If I do I that, keep truck. I would keep the truck and Pete, you could answer the question on about price. So a, in frame, which would consist of the cylinder head injectors, the cylinder kits, connecting rods, bearings, gaskets, labor, uh, dyno run, fluids. You're about 25 grand now on an ISX. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, uh, this thing. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. With an engine serial number, we can do a, an estimate for you and get you an exact price. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, because, well, um, uh, you got my information down there. I've got a lot, lot, lot of stuff from you guys in the past. Um, one of the things that happened last year in, in, uh, in October, the, the cam, uh, was replaced. It had a lot of wear and tear. And I was able to tell thanks to the OPS on there that you guys installed. And I took it in and then they, they finally opened it up and like, oh yeah, you need a cam. The good thing was that with the, the last four months of my extended warranty and they, they covered, um, uh, 80, 200 of the $11,000 bill. So <laughs> at least that, <clears throat> but, um, so that the new head, does that, does it come with a cam or without the cam? Not. It does not come with a cam. We would, in your case, reuse your cam because it's fresh. Yeah. It's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. 24. So yeah, Kevin, so go ahead and keep it right. Just keep rolling it. Yep. Okay. Sounds, sounds great. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate appreciate the answer. You're welcome. Thanks Thank for the call. Let's. Uh, oh, that may be the last call. Yeah, we had one, but it looks like it dropped. Um, all right, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, anybody have anything they want to close with? Nope. Cancel big cans. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we will uh, wrap this up. I'll be back here tomorrow with Destination Health. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, and thanks to David Counts from Fleet Air Filter. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.